We are living in challenging and uncertain times where leaders need support and encouragement to help them learn to navigate the world we are in. The Missional Formation Podcast is designed to help leaders thrive by promoting healthy rhythms that connect spiritual and missional practices. This podcast is hosted by two friends, an Irishman and an American. My name's Mark. My name is Winfield. And together we have more than four decades of experience training and coaching leaders from around the world. Each episode of the Missional Formation podcast will include conversations between us as well as interviews with leaders from around the world. And they're going to explore a variety of topics, including hope, resilience, and healthy rhythms for doing ministry in today's hectic world. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and join us for the conversation. Hey, welcome to the Missional Formation Podcast. In today's episode, we talk about hope with Gemma Williams. Gemma is a community worker who works with a lot of uh, victims and perpetrators of knife crime in her local area. Enjoy. Good morning, Gemma. Morning, how are you? really good how are you doing yeah i'm good thank you good good well thanks so much for joining us on the missional formation podcast it's always a privilege to hear your your voice (laughs) i'm not sure about that but thank you for having me (laughs) no problem listen the missional formation podcast is is really a collection of stories from leaders uh really to look at you know where hope emerges from in their lives what hope looks like and maybe sometimes why they can't be hopeful and how hard it is to be hopeful. So I really, um, we've worked together, worked together for the past few years, haven't we? Yeah, we have. It's been a delight, hasn't it? It's been a real delight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're someone that springs to mind for me that really embodies hope. I think sometimes it's easier to embody hope when things, life's great. Um, but you seem to embody hope sometimes in, in what I observe as maybe real hopelessness. <clears throat> and we we worked together on a, <clears throat> we worked together in a knife crime, crime project in, in Luton, where you're based in the UK, uh, where basically um you know young kids are, are being stabbed and stabbed to death and lives are being ruined and communities are being broken. And you were able to you were able to look at that from a different perspective and bring people together who were affected by knife crime, the victims and the perpetrators. And I just always, always struck me how you had this different way of looking at hopelessness and looking at um, something that wasn't really good and seeing, seeing uh, hope in it and a way of bringing people together through reconciliation. So that's what I've always admired about you. And uh, I was just wondering, so we, we based the Missional Formation podcast around three questions. Firstly, what's changed? It's a big question. Like what's changed in the last few weeks, hours, months, years? What's changed for you? Secondly, where did hope emerge for you as a child? And thirdly, what does hope look like for you in the future? So what's changed for you, Gemma? You mean through lockdown and 
yeah, whatever whatever perspective you have. Well, everything's changed in some ways and nothing's changed in other ways because God is still God. Um, he still sits on his throne. And in, and in that sense, every, uh, you know, things are still stable. And that, that is the hope, isn't it? It's like no matter yeah. what our spiritual uh, climate is, no matter what our, our political climate is or our practical climate is, you know, he is still alive and he and he's still there. And he's still present with us in highs and lows. That sense, um, he hasn't changed, which is the foundation of everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, with our natural eyes, we see that everything has changed. It reminds me a little bit of um, when they're in the house. Was it Elijah or Elisha? And he and he he opened his spiritual eyes and saw the armies of angels surrounding them. Mm-hmm. But what he sees in the natural is obviously quite terrifying when there's an army, a real army, before him. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Practically, <clears throat> obviously, the whole the church services have closed. Um, the church building has closed, so practically, it's a lot harder to connect with people, to reach with people, um, and you have to be incredibly intentional about your communication with people and how well you communicate, and uh, and that can be that can be quite hard because with so many people um, I, like I know I'm aware that there will be some that we've not reached. And that is the bit that I don't like. That's the bit that I, I, I think of when I lay in bed at night is those people who have not managed to reach quite yet. No, the, we wasn't really in the best stead for it. We had just before this, like uh, the GDPR, didn't we? So the yeah. GDPR meant that all of the information that we had for people was deleted until they had accepted to to put their details back on now for the for the main core of the church who are generally quite well self-sustained in any way that's okay but Mm -hmm. those that are fringe members of the church what people like to call fringe members or you know maybe they don't come to uh, the the 11 o'clock service on a Sunday morning but perhaps they come to the church two or three times during the week we might not actually have their contact details directly and stuff so that's been yeah. quite hard to try to try to catch a good scope of the people that we're missing. Um, so, so you're missing in terms of isolation and loneliness and um, basic needs that might not be getting met because they're cut off from people. Is that is in, that what you mean? It's interesting, isn't it? It's like there there are obviously fundamental needs, which is yeah. loneliness and food practical things you know which we worked hard together when you was here wasn't it It was getting food to people who either couldn't get out or were struggling because people had lost their jobs and things like that but there's another element and that is to me the one of well the most crucial element which is actually just journeying with people Um, like I, I don't know about anybody else just being completely real with myself like not having somebody else to you know I I can it's like you really have to be in charge of your own salvation. And of course you always do. Nothing in that sense has changed. You always have to be in charge of your own salvation, but iron sharpens iron and being together. is like, you know, if I, if I swear when I'm around, you know, people who aren't Christians, then he's going to pick me up on it. If I swear when I'm around people that are, are Christians, it's like, I'm I'm more aware of it. So naturally I'm going to be sharpened into better habits and things like that. Uh, or you know hopelessness which like you said is something that has such a stronghold over this place Mm -hmm. and you know 
it's so easy to to embrace that hopelessness when you're not walking alongside people day in and day out and seeing hope around you um yeah. so that kind of stuff you know it's not necessarily one thing it's just that journey alongside people um and doing life together on a re- on a very real level yeah 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 i mean yeah i think you've hit the nail on the head and it's not just as you know in your context but around the world uh people are being we were we're designed and we're 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 creatures who need to be in community with other people don't we we need to be with other people for all the reasons that you've said and all of a sudden we can't actually do that so it multiplies the and intensifies so many different issues Absolutely. That's do, you, do you just want to say maybe something about the context of Luton I mean I have to say I've been really fortunate I've lived in different parts of the world and visit it i love luton it's one of the most interesting places i've ever been some of the most genuine down-to-earth people the food obviously is incredible the curries and everything else but there's a luton's luton's different isn't it it's 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 hard to describe but it's a different place from from other other places in england that i found anyway so do you want to just say something about the context of luton yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because obviously you've travelled the world and you come back and you say that about Luton, but that's all I've known, really. So I haven't travelled the world. So my um, my my view of it is just more of one that's sort of gr- have grown in it. So it's yeah. um, it's quite a there are real pockets of great community in Luton. There are real, mm-hmm. there are real pockets of people who look out for each other and love each other well in Luton, and. Um, because it uh you know it's not particularly well funded in a lot of the places and there's a lot of poverty you have a lot more community organizations as well which which does it certainly does help yeah um but alongside that you also get all of those subcultures that come out of uh often being in a place where there's more poverty so you you do have more um there's a lot more family brokenness there's a lot more um fatherlessness there's a lot more um gang involvement there's a lot of uh not just knife crime but drugs and county lines and things like that um there's a lot more addictions um there is all of that Uh, but then there's always this hope as well of when that stuff goes beyond that you know where where you then see addicts become clean you know you see people who struggle with that fatherlessness finding a root in Jesus you also get to see people who are lonely finding that community so in all of the things where there are issues when you it it gives you far more of a stark contrast when you see those healings and when Jesus moves you're able to see it a little bit clearer I always find that harder to see in perhaps more middle class settings when everybody's to have everything together anyway I find it a little bit more tricky to see that the you know the practical things of where God is moving although of course I know that he is but but it's just slightly more stark when you're in that environment the yeah. contrast is yeah great and and maybe in this time where we are separated and we're we're locked down a lot more and we get time to reflect as you've re- as you reflect on your childhood can you think about where hope emerged from you in your childhood and what hope looked like um <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I don't think I did experience hope in my childhood. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's probably a question we could have talked about first before you recorded yeah. it, but um, that that is the reality. The reason why I believe that there is hope is because I know that there is Jesus and I didn't experience hope until I met Jesus. So I know that there is hope because I know that he is there and I know there was hope before I knew there was hope because he was obviously there before I knew him. Um, But my first encounter with hope was, was when I met God. So. um, What was that? What would talk us through that? What did that, what was that experience? It was just uh, so I, I grew up in quite a, a broken family. Like obviously, uh, every family tries their best, but there was a lot of pain. Um, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, physical abuse. Uh, there was a lot of it was just hopelessness. I, I mean, there was never like nobody had ever. I'd never seen anybody get a further education. I'd never seen anybody. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know that people got married because you know before children or anything like that I didn't really understand what the family structure was ever intended to be under God's rule and reign obviously um and you know things didn't get better they just tended to get worse there wasn't like a moment where like you know there was nobody to turn to there wasn't like essentially there was nobody to reach out to except when I met God, so I was about uh, 17, 18, mm-hmm. when I accepted Jesus. But I didn't, I genuinely did not, did not know him before that. Like, we just went to weddings and funerals, and that was about it. Um, but I, I was obviously in, in quite a bad place emotionally. Um, not that I would have really had any self-awareness of that. But, I, mm-hmm. but certainly I struggled with depression. Um and uh, and I, I met a youth worker who who told me about God, and I thought he was crazy. I was raised as a spiritualist, um, but essentially, there was what happened was when he talked to me, I asked him a question. Um, not that I particularly wanted an answer, but I, w- I wasn't even particularly nice to him. But the next time he saw me, he said, "Oh, it's Gemma, isn't it?" And he remembered my name. Um, that was really significant. That he, it was really significant for me that he had met me once gone away for a week and remembered my name and he said I, I was praying about what you said to me and I mean that I didn't know it at the time but it was it was there was just something that drew me to him and, and of course it was that and so when he invited me uh the next time to come and watch him speak at, at church I I went and much to the much my family was not too impressed they thought I was joining a cult or something but I was literally just going to sit at the back of a church and watch somebody talk um which I did for about a year and I I struggled to um to really engage with it but I but I just watched and I think my fear was was hope to be honest that was my greatest fear okay you didn't want to be hopeful the thought of having hope was terrifying because what if that hope turned out to be nothing and I I tended to think that false hope was worse than no hope um and I I I still struggle with that to be honest with you like that that sense of things could get better and them not getting better is far worse than you accepting things not not being better so um so yeah so it took me a a long time to even consider 
putting any hope in, in him. And when I did put hope in him, it was minuscule, honestly. Um, obviously, yeah. over time, he has just shown himself to me again and again and again. Never failed me, never walked away, never left me, never abandoned, um, never hurt me. Um, yeah, so so it's over that that I've been able to, I can firmly say, you know, he is my hope. Before that, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really recognise hope. It's so fascinating that you've shared that story because if I was to describe you, I would say Gemma is someone who notices people. And we hung out quite a lot the last few years and did different things together. And I always noticed that that you you recognise people and you use their names and you you sort of a, you have a gift of enabling people to feel heard. So so that went right back to that moment, you know, when you were seventeen where you recognised that someone noticed you. Yeah. You know, someone noticed Gemma. There's a lot of power in it. Uh, in yeah. I think that sometimes I was thinking about this just yesterday, how um, it, it's like somebody mentioned that they were, you know, they were, they were starting a church and they was using the Francis Chan model. And, and I was talking with somebody about it and I said, it's really interesting that when people see that something is working, they don't necessarily think the spirit is moving. They try to bottle it and replicate it and, uh, and sell it. And unfortunately, yeah you can't really replicate the spirit moving without the spirit moving. Um, and I don't know why I was saying that. Why did I say that? You just said something that made me think of that. Sorry. Maybe because the simple act of noticing, uh, you know, goes beyond any type of plan or program. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was, that's exactly what, what I mean is that there, there isn't a formula to it. I just think there's something far more powerful in the day-to-day meeting with people and seeing beyond your circumstances and actually you know when somebody says yeah yeah I'm okay actually you know double checking with that because you find that that's always people's initial response and if you ask again you can tell straight away in somebody's eyes whether it's the truth or not because whether there's a hesitation of why is she asking me again she knows or whether it's the no I'm yeah I'm really doing well actually at the moment um yeah there's a lot behind people's eyes and we're kind of designed in this world to give our best self forward aren't we but uh, yeah it doesn't breed connection yeah and it's very um and that's another character trait you have that you know you are authentic so it's very disarming to people to be actually authentic to them because we live in a world where everybody wants to sell you something, even the church, they want to sell you something, come to church, you know, whatever they've got something that they want to sell to you. Whereas your posture of just being authentic of noticing someone and just being yourself with that person. um, That's so, I mean, that's, that's so powerful. But again, I appreciate that. I appreciate your comments, but it's, it's not something that I, I necessarily would think about, and I'm sure most other people don't either. It's just that if we tell people to come to the church for the sake of just coming to the church, well, what hope is there in that? And if there's no actual hope in that, then where does the transformation begin or end? Like, so, so often I see, 
I, I see people journeying for two or three years before they actually step foot in a church where they become bolder, stronger and, and all of that. And they've done a lot of their healing with God before they've stepped foot in a church. So if we measure it by when they step foot in the church, you know, I, I'm not sure that, that that's how God sees it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's funny because, yeah. Sorry. I was going to say certainly not what God. Uh, it's not what, how Jesus framed it. He didn't. He didn't say, "Guys, uh, why have you not come to temple? You know, I haven't seen you at temple in a while. What's happening for you?" He he goes out and he says, "Do you want to be healed?" <laughs> That's what he says. He he walks into their space and he's like, "Pick up your mat and come yeah. follow me." He he doesn't he doesn't even take them back to the temple as far as we read. I know. It's fascinating this moment in time because what you say is so, so true. You know, even about hope because we lived in a narrative after the Second World War where just everything was going to get better. We built bigger factories, products got cheaper, we got all these, um, all these tools to make our life easier. We're all going to go on more, more holidays. We'll fly to the moon and everything else. And then we had all these big storms of the economic crisis of nine eleven of pandemic and now everything seems terrible and it's finding that that realistic hope within the reality that everything's never good all good or never all bad and that posture of looking at it and i think what you're saying is right because even the church you know just kept building more and more churches and bigger churches for people to come to in this industrial way of thinking where everybody was going to think the same and now we have the internet where it's just disrupted all that thinking of every area of our life. And now we have this COVID pandemic, um, which has really moved discipleship from the church to the living room, to the house. Yeah. That's reality. You know, discipleship is not happening in big church buildings at the minute. For the, for the more, most part, it's happening in families. It's happening in small groups. It's happening like this over, over um, digital communications. So there's such a huge shift there, isn't there? there there is but one it's such an opportunity i think and like if i if i could just share what happened to me last week right which is what i would say happened to me so i met with a friend that i've known since we were 10 9 10 we had a really intense relationship um and it was it was really beautiful but unfortunately like, her mum passed away and uh, something happened with her at that point you know she had um her dad is an alcoholic and she had one brother and so she was just left really to raise her brother and I remember like a week after her mum died she said you know I'm, I'm okay now uh, I've cried all the tears I've got to cry I'm fine and um it wasn't long you know by the time she was 15 she was in a really abusive relationship um and I would pick her up again and again with bruises and uh, and she wouldn't she would never cry um she was always just okay you know picking her stuff up in the middle of the street where thrown it all out and tried to burn her stuff and she was always just okay she went from that into a relationship where she um it, it was a muslim guy and she she basically became muslim she converted she had children with him um and uh, again that became abusive uh, so then uh, she went into another relationship with another Muslim guy. And again, that became abusive. And so I would meet with her at all of these key moments in her life. God would just intertwine us in each other's lives. And um, 
and and it's been quite painful to watch because I've always I've always been very honest with her about what I see as I've obviously I've become Christian during that time and so we would have these discussions about Islam and uh Christianity and things like that and I could see that she was walking something that she hadn't quite accepted but she desperately you know she needed something to measure herself against to say that she was enough and um, and it never quite it never quite worked anyway uh come to today uh so last week i like i'd seen her pregnant so then we'd, we'd met over that and then she, i hadn't met her partner but um because i have this time here where i'm able to sit back and pray god who who you're leading me towards whereas if i was in the church building and doing things i would not have had that opportunity necessarily to do that so i get to be yeah. quite um intentional about where i'm going so i messaged her and i said hey um how you doing i just wanted to see if you want to meet up and i've gone there and just seeing what god has done in her through her in this yeah. lockdown she um she's a completely different person but she doesn't know it yet and i'm not saying so for the first time you know she's she was quite tearful she was quite honest about her like i i've just realized a b and c um and for the first time I can see that God you know and I've obviously laid down a lot of prayer for her, I can see that God is softening her and I said to her listen Becky I know, I know you call it this and I call it that but um I know we've got different faiths and she said I I don't have a faith actually Gemma that I don't have a faith that's true that's the truth of who I am and where I'm at and if I haven't had this space to be able to think about intentionally who I'm going to go to visit, I wouldn't have witnessed that. And now for me, I know that she needs somebody to journey alongside, not so I can sit there and say, you know, accept Jesus, accept this or anything like that. But just so she can process yeah. that with somebody as she goes through and as she, and it's going to be a painful process and she knows it is. And I know it is, but what hope is there in that, that, that she's able to take a reflection on her life and say, do you know what happened to me really wasn't okay for the first time. And, you know, and it does go to show the root of hopelessness where you can get beaten, abused, um, left when you're 12 to look after your brother and, and not recognize at that time, at any point that you are being victimized or that you are being exploited. Um, what hope is that to finally open your eyes and say, wow, something not okay has happened and you know for for our own words she's like you know I can't I'm embarrassed I'm 34 and I I don't even I've realized that I've never I don't even know who I am and I said you know to be yeah. perfectly honest I, I speak with people who are 50 60 70 and still don't know who they are and I don't think there's any shame in that but I the essentially to be able to be present with somebody while they work that stuff out is such an honor and a privilege that I can't that I've just I can't help but praise God for it because you know I just I know in my heart that this is where God comes in and shows her his father heart and who he is and he gets to take you from the pit of despair into the riches of his glory and yeah I, I find that really exciting really yeah what a beautiful story amazing story so looking forward, Gemma, you know, what What does hope look like for Gemma going forward? Hope looks like that for me. Those moments, those yeah. people, those connections. Yeah. That's where I see hope. That's it. I, I love my church and I will always love the church. 
Um, I love coming together with people. But when I say the church, I mean the body of Christ. I love fellowshipping. I love the way that we strengthen each other. But hope lies outside of that. Um, hope mm-hmm. comes in in seeing people being transformed and receiving the hope that I am clinging to. Well, that's powerful stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks for Thank sharing you. your heart. Thank you for having me. No problem. Gemma, look after yourself. I'll talk to you soon. God okay. bless. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Missional Formation Podcast. If you're interested in learning more information about the Missional Formation Coaching model, visit us at missionalformationcoaching.com. We offer training that is uniquely designed to train individuals who want to be equipped in the skill set of coaching as a Missional Formation Coach. Check us out at missionalformationcoaching.com. Have a great day.